Welcome to Time Lapse. Your future self says, new superluminolanta telephone, who dis? I'm Dan Manning. And I'm Misha Stanton. And joining us today in the studio, Julian Mundy. Julian Mundy. Welcome back to the show. I'm back. It feels great. We brought you here today because I, we had an argument. We did. About Bioshock. We did. Uh, and you said it was a bad, dumb game that it was. A uh, game that I didn't enjoy, though I played it all the way through. I'm going to try to make you like Bioshock Infinite. Because, okay, for the people listening at home, I played through all of Bioshock Infinite. I played through the other Bioshocks as well. And Bioshock Infinite was the one where I came away feeling like I was not really much wiser than when I went in. And also, I, I, you got your Halo in my Bioshock. You got your Bioshock in my Halo. Oh, now I can't eat either of these. Guys, what's Bioshock? I'm crossing my arms and glaring at you, knowing that we have to put up this facade because okay, but I, I watched you play Bioshock Infinite. You fucking know. Okay, but I, Misha Stanton, the character that I play on Timelapse, <sighs> is the one who doesn't play video games very often. Okay, so Bioshock is a video game about a big, gruff man who goes down to a city under the sea that has been destroyed because someone had given them access to superpowers and, you know... Superpowers corrupt absolutely, and oh, by the way, they're all Randian objectivists. Um, My favorite kind of objectivist. There's classism, there is surgical disfigurement, there's a lot of messed up stuff yeah, happening a, under the sea. It's sort of the opposite of Atlantis from The Little mm-hmm. Mermaid. Yeah, it's a very spooky undersea city where bad things happen. That's actually a really good way to think about it. I've never yeah. thought about it as the opposite of Little Mermaid. Thank you, that came to me right this second. Yeah, like they don't actually go into The Little Mermaid, like the society of We mermaids. are not talking about the economics of The Little Mermaid, Misha. Sorry, that's a different podcast. No, it's, I mean, not yet. That's the one we're starting up tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> It's been a Little Mermaid fan cast. Uh, <laughs> Back to the explanation of yeah, this game. Bioshock 2 exists, but, like, f- fuck it. I mean, it was actually a good game. I really enjoyed it. But, like, it doesn't matter for the purposes of this. Like, Bioshock 1 was an aesthetically important game. Bioshock 2. You play as a big daddy, which, for the people that never played it, are big guys in suits of armor with drills on their hands, and they're a lot of fun. Yeah, they're big bad guys. If you do a Google Images search for Bioshock, I guarantee a picture of one of them will come up. But we're really here for Bioshock Infinite. Bioshock Infinite is a game where um, there's a piece of concept art that you unlock in a concept art gallery where it is a sketch that was given to one of the art directors, and it says art director. Uh, And then under it, there's a picture of a house, and then on top of that house, there's a bunch of water, and it says no. And then there's another picture that has a house, and under the house there's clouds, and it says yes. And that's basically Bioshock Infinite. So Bioshock 1 was under the sea, and Bioshock Infinite is a sky city. Yes, it's a sky city. But it's the same game otherwise. I mean... Sort of. Like, that's kind of actually the point. I think I'm going to take this one for a second because the city is called Columbia for a specific reason, and that is because this game takes place in 1912, which is one of the most racially charged propagandistic periods in American history, just in terms of the types of things and the blatancy of the things being portrayed. I think we are getting a little ahead of ourselves. Let's do a summary real quick of all the points in Bioshock Infinite that we want to cover. Okay, so there's Columbia. It's a city in the clouds. It's held up in the clouds because of the amazing work done by the Lutess siblings, or are they siblings, Rosalind and Robert Lutess. You actually find out that Rosalind and Robert are Rule 63 versions of each other who discovered parallel universes at the same time, coincidentally, each other's parallel universe. And decided to be time travel buds forever. (laughs) Yeah, they discover this science called tears. They have some quantum entanglement bullshit to, like, make sure that the city can float 
and they discover these things called tears. Tears are rips in parallel universes. One of the first things you see when you get to Columbia is a barbershop quartet singing God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. And you're like, why is that? And it's because the brother of a higher up in Columbia heard music coming through the tears and he was a musician. So he just stole those songs. He stole the songs from a parallel universe in the future and brought them back to 1912 to make a lot of money. Yes. Okay. I mean, I probably would do that too. Yeah. I mean, they're really good covers. I mean, Postmodern Jukebox is doing that right now. I mean, Postmodern Jukebox did those covers. He he oh. arranged them. Well, it's literally go. Postmodern Jukebox's go. work. Well, there it is. Scott Bradley, call me. No, seriously, call us. Like, really? Call, like, please. Please. We have reasons. There's a specific scene where your character and, and a character I'm about to get to, Elizabeth, you were sent through a tear and you were suddenly in 1980s Paris and there is a movie theater playing The Revenge of the Jedi, which was the original title for Return of the Jedi. So talk to me about Elizabeth. Okay, so Elizabeth is the girl that you're sent to Columbia to find. She lives in a tower. She looks like Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Mixed with Betty Boop. Don't get me started. She can open tears. She is a severed pinky finger that she covers up with a thimble, but she's been kept in a tower all her life and experimented on, and she has crazy powers that are stopped by this big machine called the siphon, which, like, siphons off her powers. And she's held by, like, a giant bird robot. Oh, by the way, there's Columbia. It's a city in the sky. It's filled with racists and classists, and, like, there's a rebellion group called the Vox Populi who, like, Stand for not that. But going back to Elizabeth's bodyguard, Songbird, which is a great name, by the way. I love the designs for this character and all the stuff that I saw pre-release. But for a moment, just imagine if if a terrifying version of Iron Man was your bodyguard. A slash parole officer. Like maybe a Big Daddy from Bioshock 1, which, again, we'll get to. It, the, the similarities there are literally intentional. And the Iron Giant... And mm. also a terrifying bird. So in this game, you actually play as Booker DeWitt. He fought at the Battle of Wounded Knee. He's now a Pinkerton, which is like the 1912 version of a private detective. Institutionalized private detective. Sure. They busted some unions, etc. All right. Hey. Um, he is told by a client who we later find out is one of the Lutesses, or mm-hmm. do we know Both. that up front? No, you don't know. One of the Lutesses hires Booker to, quote unquote, Bring us the girl and wipe away the debt. Because he has a big old gambling debt. Or is it? like? Or is it? Yeah. Like, the whole point is, or is it? What the twist? He goes to Columbia. Columbia is ruled by their prophet named Zachary Comstock. He a big old racist. So you go to Columbia, and you're told to bring the girl to wipe away the debt. And then you run around shooting people for eight hours. And it's not really clear why. There's some hard murder in this game. Like yeah. the first thing, your, your mm-hmm. first act of violence is you essentially stick a grappling hook into a man's face. Not even essentially, that's literally what you do. Yeah, it's like a grappling hook gun. You stick it into a man's face in front of a crowd of people. It's also spinning, it's motorized. Yeah, and then nothing is quiet for the next eight hours, which, God, I I wish that people would be quiet well, just, in this game sometimes. Like, the combat is actually my least favorite part of this game. Like, I wish it was just a city in the sky that you walk around, you learn about the racist classist overtones, and then you learn about the big twist at the end. I really like walk em so I get, maybe I'm biased but like the combat parts of the game which is like the eight hour middle of the game felt so disconnected from the idea of like walking around and learning about these concepts well i think in bioshock one that game was so acclaimed because the things you do in the game are supported by the narrative like you are in a dank destroyed city that is filled with i mean 
crazy drug addicts. It's and immediately post-collapse of this society mm-hmm. that was supposed to be a utopian ideal for this industrialist. And it turns out that it didn't work that way. Well, I do like the idea that, like, the plasmids, the drug that give you superpowers, they destroyed the society. So there's a mechanical reason for you to get them, but also, like, a way that they fit into the story. Whereas Vigors, their counterpart in Bioshock Infinite... Are neat, I guess. They sure the, are there and are cool magic juice. The first time you get Vigors, you are at a fair, I believe, and they're just tossing them out. It's a mind control elixir, and the use case that they give you is give it to your date and she'll go out on a date with you. Gross. So, gross. wait, really? I didn't even remember that. Yeah, gross. That was totally. Yep, this, yeah, the first Vigor you get is like a date rape thing. And this they. Game is top to bottom, just things that made me feel uncomfortable playing yeah. it. And they also never address it. Like, again, Ever. plasmids destroyed Rapture. Like, it is a big part of the game that, like, having these things was disastrous for the city. And I understand that, like, oh, maybe it wasn't disastrous for the people of Columbia, but they don't even talk about it. They don't even talk about, like, oh, we have magic vigors. I don't think I heard that audio log. It seems like it should come up a lot and should have brought the society down way sooner than this whole bullshit with other dimensions and time travel, question mark. Yeah, let's get to the time-lapse part of this. Okay. So after the eight-hour murder-thon, you get to the end of the game, where you destroy the siphon, Elizabeth unlocks her true powers to travel pretty much anywhere she wants in the multiverse, and you unlock this big multiversal... What a twist! The first place she goes is they go to Rapture from Bioshock 1, and like, I mean, to be honest, when I played this game first, I lost my goddamn mind. Oh, of course, if you're a fan of Bioshock 1, you're playing Bioshock Infinite, it's an entirely different setting, and all of a sudden you're back in Rapture in the first game. As a fan, I would lose it. I didn't play Bioshock 1 until Bioshock Infinite came out, and as such, I was like, well, yeah, that's what you do. Yeah. So, through the sequence at the end of the game, you learn that Elizabeth is actually Anna DeWitt, Booker DeWitt's daughter. Who he gave up. He, like, sold her or something? Yeah. You also learn that Booker, after Wounded Knee, felt a lot of guilt about murdering people. Where's that guilt later, Booker? Oh, they delve into it, but, like, not well. All right. Well, he feels a bunch of guilt and goes to be baptized in a river and refuses the baptism. Like, right as he's about to be baptized, he's like, wait, I can't do this. Being baptized isn't going to wipe away the debt. The the guilt debt. Yeah. But in other parallel universes, he doesn't refuse the baptism. He accepts the baptism. And he accepts a new name in the name of the Lord. He now goes by... Zachary Comstock. Turns out they were the same guy the whole time. What a twist! What he a is twist. the prophet, and um, nothing is good ever again. Well, at some point, Zachary Comstock is like, well, I want a daughter. So he calls up his good friends, the Lutesses, have them go to a parallel universe and take a parallel Booker DeWitt slash Zachary Comstock's baby Anna DeWitt. Booker feels really bad about selling his daughter because he, you know, you had... should. Yeah. You, he had, like, absurd gambling Why did that even occur to no. you? Who takes a daughter for gambling debts? Is that a thing that happened in 1912? He must have been in, like, a lot of debt. He does have second thoughts, and he's like, no, I can't let you take my daughter. So he goes, runs up to them before they walk through the parallel universe. There's, like, a a tear. There's a portal. Yeah, there's, like, a portal in a brick wall, and there's a climactic scene where Comstock's already stepped through the portal, and, like, Booker DeWitt grabs baby Anna to become Elizabeth and, like, tries to pull her and pull her through the thing, but he, like, slips out of her hands as the portal is closing, and her pinky finger is, is chopped off between worlds. And so, because she's, like, stuck between worlds, that's why she has her powers. Naturally, that makes sense. That's science, right? That's how science works? We stepped over the line into magic juice country. We are no longer in science land. 
Can I also say all of that, all the things we just said are revealed to you in the last 15 minutes. Not even the last 15 minutes, like the last five minutes of the game. Like it's the beginning with a lighthouse. You're in the Sky City, eight hour murder thon, and then all of the exposition right at the end. And like the exposition is really cool. But like if that had been a two hour experience where we have lighthouse like a perfunctory encounter and then that cool like the ending is really cool if this game had been something in the style of gone home or everyone's gone to the rapture it would have been a much stronger experience everyone's gone home to the rapture mm, everyone's right? gone home to rapture colon bioshock infinite, bioshock infinite. there Barely you go we made see. a better game we just made a better game so in the end of bioshock infinite all of the elizabeths from all of across the multiverse gather at this baptism moment where Booker either decides to stay as Booker or become Comstock, and she and all of her alternate versions of her gang up and drown him at the baptism so he never gets to make the choice. And that, ostensibly, is the end of the whole problem. And then the Elizabeths disappear, and then, like, I guess... Right, because if he never leaves the baptism, if he dies at the baptism, he never has the daughter, Mm -hmm. so she can't exist, so none of this conflict can even happen. And then they release a DLC or two. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's Bioshock Burial at Sea, which is a Bioshock Infinite DLC that takes place in Rapture. The first part, you play a Booker DeWitt who is being hired by Elizabeth to do some stuff, and it's a real shit show. Like, apparently that Booker DeWitt escaped the purge of Booker DeWitt's throughout time. It was a Comstock who's, when he tried to steal Anna, the portal, instead of closing around her pinky finger, closed around her head. She died. In his depression, he said, Lutessa, send me somewhere where I don't have to remember this. And they're like, how about Rapture? And he's like, cool. And then he goes back to Rapture and re-becomes Booker DeWitt so that later Elizabeth can hire him. And then at the end, she, like, engineers his murder. Like, neither of the times that Booker DeWitt slash Zachary Comstock dies in these games, do I feel the slightest bit bad for him and in fact I'm rooting for the murderer the entire time. It's a very unusual experience to be put in when you are maybe one of the most reprehensible characters in the in-game universe. Yeah, I I don't know how you're supposed to sympathize with Booker DeWitt after you find out he's Comstock. I guess it's a question of like potential in that he has the potential to be a huge fucking racist and classist that just oppresses poor black people in his sky city. Honestly, like this isn't the solution. Disclaimer, this is not the solution to any of this. But if you hate poor black people that much, why let them into your sky city? Like, that, as a character motivation, that doesn't make sense, let alone the fact that that's morally reprehensible. Well, I think they were brought in for, like, labor. Oh. There, there yeah. are just a lot of things. I mean, they're... they're, they're really shitty. They're really bad. Yeah, we could go on and on about the amount of jingoism and classism and racism in these games that are used as plot devices. Like you run into these, they're referred to as the Vox Populi in the game, who are just the working class, most of whom are black. And you spend a lot of time in the final act of the game gunning down black people, which is... Oh yeah, because they turn on you. Yeah, exactly, because there are reasons for this betrayal and they had to add them in the DLCs that came later. Well, there's like a point where like you go through another tear in Bioshock Infinite, the base game. It's like a parallel universe and they're at war. And apparently in this parallel universe, Booker DeWitt died earlier. And Daisy Fitzroy, the head of the Vox Populi, says, oh, you're either an imposter or a ghost. So you've got to die. So now instead of blue team being your enemies, now red team is your enemies. 
and it's um, literally that color change. You yeah, get it's blue it, blue coats and red coats. Yeah, they still have the same like enemy classes, and I think they have like upgraded weapons, but also they're fundamentally the same. And I really hate that because Bioshock Infinite was clearly trying to like make a stance, and then at the last second they said, "Ah, but both sides are bad, I guess." But um, no, though. Well, Daisy Fitzroy, the head of the Vox Populi, when she turns against you, it actually, in Burial at Sea Part 2, you find out that the Lutesses engineered her to, like, they need, they needed Elizabeth to kill Daisy Fitzroy because then she's a real woman who's, like, tasted blood. And in, what? So she could grow up and, like, have the guts to do more murders, I guess. So they convinced Daisy to, for the greater cause and for the greater good. The, the greater, greater good. They need her to, like, become the person that Elizabeth wants to kill. So, like, that's that's why she did that. So This all seems very convoluted and not very well explained. Huh, you want to talk about convoluted and not well explained? I have some points to discuss. Please. At the end of Bioshock Infinite, she kills Booker slash Comstock at the baptism in order so that none of them exist, right? right. Correct. But in Burial at Sea, there's another one that escaped. Correct. Right. How? What? How do you escape? That was the whole point. If you do that, then they'll all be dead for the future forever. How does one escape? Because he's not from his prime tear, so that when it goes through and deletes all the Zachary Comstocks from all the different parallel universes, he escapes because of the, I'm really trying here, people. I'm, okay, I'm, I'm gonna, really I'm gonna, trying to save this. Daniel, I'm going to take this one from you because I think maybe we should be looking at this from another side, and that is that the in-universe thesis behind what Elizabeth and Booker are doing and trying to kill Comstock is not actually going to fix anything. Like, their understanding of what they're experiencing is not complete, and they make a faulty assumption. So killing one Booker or one Comstock may kill off a certain cluster, but it doesn't hold up necessarily that by killing this one Comstock, the rest of the chain collapses because it's too complicated a chain now. I guess. They talk about constants and variables and how, like, there's always a man and there's always a lighthouse and there's always a girl. Is it necessarily the same man? Because if you're right, if there's, like, clusters of, you know, similar Booker DeWitts that, like, that cluster dies and some others on the fringe survive, I want to see the universe where Booker DeWitts faces a hammer. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah the, absolutely. the you universe know? where Booker DeWitt is a pizza that sits on humans. And, and he, plasmids uh, on half. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, as much as this is pretty much antithetical for literally everything we always talk about on this show, it really is facilitating this atmosphere, this environment. Like, Columbia is a fascinating city to walk around in. I will say that it's a really great, like, museum to walk around and, like, yeah. see all these little exhibits and all these different places. And also playing through that 15-minute sequence at the end where you do learn all of the backstory things, that is super cool. Like, you go through doors, and the doors, like, lead back to the lighthouse, and you play through the lighthouse sequence, like, three or four times, and they play with space in a really cool mm -hmm. way. And atmospherically, it's so cool that you momentarily forget that none of it makes sense. You said something about it being a museum, and I think that that's an apt comparison. I like to describe that game as kind of a theme park, like you're going from place to place. And like the skyhooks, which are these rails that you ride on and you use it to do like combat things, those rails are pretty roller coastery, like very much by design. And it's very much a game where you go from combat encounter to environmental walkabout to combat encounter. And the combat encounters aren't as much there to like tell the story as they are 
to keep like the thrill meter up. Which is, again, why we say the mechanics given to you and the story that you're experiencing are really two different things. Julian, before we started, you had this great theory about Booker DeWitt being a wolf man. Can you talk about that? Here's how I like to think about playing Bioshock Infinite. We were talking before about this game being more enjoyable if you play it kind of like a dog where you don't listen to what's being said or what you see. But how it's being said and how you see it, like the colors and shapes, it's all a fantastic atmosphere to be in. So I like to think of playing as a sort of hybrid sentient wolfman who can operate guns and weird grappling hook machines. But he doesn't so much understand human speech or social graces, and he's just a ravenous murderer, which fits the story. Who's a little classist murderer? Yes, you are. Yes, yes you, you are. are. Who's going to become our prophet slash savior? Yes, you are. I don't know, Dan. Like, we started this episode, and you were going to try to convince Julian that this was a pretty good game, but, like, we tore it to yeah, shreds. Julian kind of won that one. Yeah. I don't feel that good about it either. I wanted to like this game when it came out and it was a highlight reel of all the worst shit in America's well, history. Here's the thing. I think it's a fun game. Like, I enjoy shooters like that, but it just was completely inappropriate for the rest of the story and that tanked both things. I don't know, man. I think I'm just going to go play Flower. Is Flower time travel? No, not everything has to be time travel, Daniel. I mean, on the show it does. That's going to do it for this episode of Time Lapse. Thanks, y'all, for listening. Remember, we're trying to do a mailbag to finish out the series, and there's only a couple episodes left until we do that. So please, please, please send your questions into timelapsepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at Misha, etc. You can find me literally everywhere on the internet at Manuel Danning. You can find me, Julian Mundy, on Twitter at Mr. Limbs. That's Mr. spelled M-I-S-T-E-R Limbs. That's going to do it for us. And until the next episode of Time Lapse, have a great day. Oh, I thought you were going to do the thing. Yeah, I know. I know you thought I was going to do it. And I needed to make sure I didn't say it this time. Lapse. Ah! God damn it, I believe it. Fuck. A product of the Whisper Forge. <laughs> <laughs>